Hello and welcome to this vidcast which is devoted to Square and to revenue, sales, growth as we can observe it. Initially, I wanted to talk about the acquisition of Afterpay by Square. But looking at the financial statements, the financial accounts of Square, I observed something which is, in my opinion, very interesting and I would like to share thoughts with you. Square is a very well-known company in the payment industry. It was created in 2009 and as it explains by itself, it's about full-service managed payments offering. The company went public in November 2015. The stock price was initially $13 per share. It's today $263 per share with a market capitalization of 124 billion US dollars. It's an outstanding track record in terms of value creation for the investors. In the meantime, the quarterly revenues went up from $374 million the last quarter before the IPO to Today, Q2 2021, $4.7 billion. So also an outstanding track record in terms of revenue growth. If you benchmark the evolution of the square stock price and the NASDAQ stock market index, you observe that during a year or so, they move in parallel. Then square is going to go up, then stabilize, from, I would say, mid-2018 to beginning of 2020. And then the NASDAQ is going to go up again, but there will be a dramatic increase in the stock price of Square starting at the very beginning of 2020. Interestingly, you observe the same turning point for the quarterly revenues. From the moment the company is listed, you observe a steady growth in the revenues, which is quite okay, and the consequence of the quality of product. And then revenues are skyrocketing, starting beginning of 2020. When you look at these two evolutions, you want to make a parallel between the evolution of a stock price and the evolution of the revenues, and that's fantastic. The stock price is explained by the revenues quarter after quarter. Sometimes there is a gap, but what drives the stock price is definitely the evolution of revenues. You remember that in corporate finance, value is created by performance, not by growth. But here there seems to be a fantastic correlation between revenue growth and stock price market. The capital market pays for growth. But the question is, which growth are we talking about? Getting back to the quarterly P&L of Square, you understand that there are three major sources of revenues. One is transaction. Okay, we make transactions and we invoice fees. There is also a source of revenue, which is subscription and services, as they name it, which is we provide services and there is a steady revenue growth for subscription services on the one hand, for transactions on the other hand. But there is a third source which is quite interesting to observe, which is Bitcoin revenues. What does it mean, Bitcoin? It means that they buy Bitcoins for the sake of their customers, so they facilitate the access to the Bitcoin market. It started at the beginning of 2018, slow growth at the very beginning, and then you understand that the turning point in the evolution of revenues is 100% explained by the evolution of Bitcoin revenues. So growth is Bitcoin revenues. But the question is, buying Bitcoin for the customers, 
again, facilitating the access to the market, not buying Bitcoin for speculating on the Bitcoin or whatsoever. The question is, is it a revenue? And the company answers, until 2018 included, no. This is why they calculate and they communicate and they publish an adjusted revenue. In its financial communication, the company is of course publishing its P&L, balance sheet, cash flow statement, which is absolutely straightforward. But there is some additional information, non-gap information as they name it. Growth payment volume, for example, the volume of transactions, that's about $85 billion in 2018. Adjusted EBITDA. It's an EBITDA which you calculate taking only into account recurrent items and cash items. The adjusted net income per share is definitely the consequence of the adjusted EBITDA. But the company is also producing an adjusted revenue, which is about $1.6 billion. And it's quite different from the published revenue in a PL. Then the company says how we move from net revenue to adjusted revenue from 3.3 to $1.6 billion. Well, first we deduct the transaction-based revenue generated by the Starbucks contract. Okay, it's a pass, forget it. We deduct transaction-based costs, which is about 1.6, and a small amount, which is about the bean coin costs, which is 165 million plus some adjustments, uh, which are accounting adjustments. So what is very interesting is that there are costs which are deducted from the revenue. Why? The reason why the company is deducting these costs is explained by Square itself. What about transaction-based costs? about fees, interchange, processing, bank settlement, and so on and so forth? So either these costs are directly paid by the company or they are paid by Square and invoiced to the company. So there is no kind of added value. There is no economic activity behind that. What about Bitcoin costs? Again, we facilitate the customer access to the Bitcoin market. And so we buy for them. We make just a small margin. It's a kind of 2% fees on top of so that we are remunerated for the fact that we bought the Bitcoin for them and they did not have to do it by themselves. If you remember Coinbase, the same figure was 1.4% for the retail activity of Coinbase. So same order of magnitude. And then the adjusted revenue is going to reflect the actual economic activity. Just buy and sell bitcoins is not an activity. We can consider as an activity the fact that we cash in a kind of fee, transaction fee to do the job. But buying and selling is not an activity per se. And then the company says adjusted revenue makes Square more comparable with its peers. Now, if you try to figure out what the adjusted revenue means, it is about subscription and services revenue. That's a real revenue coming from services. No problem about that. Transaction-based revenue, less direct cost. Revenue, less direct cost, kind of gross margin. So, in fact, what they consider as a revenue is not what they invoice, but the gross margin deducting this kind of direct costs, which are not the consequence of a real economic activity. And if you take uh, uh, the revenue from selling the Bitcoins minus the revenue from buying the Bitcoins, you have the transaction fees. The transaction fees are an economic activity, not the amount of Bitcoin which you buy for your customers. And this is the adjusted revenue. 2019, adjusted EBITDA, 
adjust the net income per share, gross payment volume, which is now 106 billion instead of 85 billion the year before, no problem. Adjusted revenue disappeared. So the company stopped disclosing this calculation starting in 2019. Of course, I recomputed the adjusted revenue based on the same principle. And that's very interesting to observe. Because when you look at the evolution of the quarterly revenues published versus adjusted, they move in parallel ways up to Q1 2020. But even though starting in 2019, you understand that the gap is widening between the published and the adjusted revenue, and the published revenue is skyrocketing in 20 and beginning of 2021, which is not the case for the adjusted revenue, supposedly more representative of the actual economic activity of the company. So the company is growing in its real economic activity, but certainly not at the same rate as what the published revenue would suggest. There are two impacts of this adjusted revenue calculation and accounting. The first impact is on the calculation of the gross margin and the observation of the cost structure of the company. The second impact, which in my opinion is quite important, is what about market valuation of the company compared with its peers? Let's start with the gross margin and cost structure. The company is publishing the direct cost for each and every source of revenue. So we have the gross margin for transactions. It was a bit less than 40%, quite stable. It moved a little bit up. Now it's a bit more than 40%. That's fine. And that's quite stable. What about subscription and services activity? Well, it was about 60%, went up, plateaued at 70, then went up. 80, 90, and today it's between 80 and 90, a little bit of declining trend the last quarters. But there's a gross margin rate, which we know for this kind of industry. Now, interestingly, what about the Bitcoin? The Bitcoin gross margin is a 2% I mentioned earlier. And as what makes the growth of the top line of the PNL is Bitcoin, the weighted average total gross margin shows that when only subscription and transaction revenues are accounted for an increase, that's fine. And then if you look at the last quarters, when the Bitcoin revenues skyrocketed, the average gross margin went down. It does not go down because the company is not doing well. The gross margin is down simply because of the Bitcoin transaction outstanding growth rate. And then you try to observe the evolution of the cost structure compared with the evolution of the gross margin. Gross margin, again, mentioned before. What about the cost? You anticipate that for a company which is fast growing, there will be some economies of scale. Now you have sales and marketing, which is reasonably stable. You have general and admin, which is reasonably stable. You have product development, R&D, you know, software development, services development, which is reasonably stable. And all these costs are collapsing when the gross margin is collapsing. And as a consequence of the dramatic evolution of the Bitcoin revenues. And the question is, which kind of conclusion and information do you take out of that? The answer is not that much. Because everything is calculated on the published revenue, which is not very representative of the actual economic activity. You replace now 
published revenue by adjusted revenue. And you get a picture which is much more clear. You have a kind of gross margin which is 80-90%, quite traditional for this kind of digital activity. Then what do you observe for the indirect costs? You observe that sales and marketing on one hand, general and admin on the other hand, are generating economies of scale. So these costs are growing, but not at the same rate as the economic activity of the company. And this is why, as a percentage to adjusted revenue and economic activity, these costs are down. Then you observe about product development. First, it goes down as a percentage to adjusted revenue, to economic activity. Then it stabilizes when the other costs are down. And then it goes up and it goes down as a consequence of an investment in the quality and in the development of the product. So you understand that using the adjusted revenue as opposed to the published revenue gives much more accurate information. And then you can compare with the peers. I just took PayPal as an example to make a very quick benchmark. If you calculate the return on sales full year 2020, operating income, operating profit, EBIT on revenues. I adjust the PayPal revenues so that it's calculated the same way as Square. PayPal adjusted 24, Square adjusted 15. Okay, Square looks less profitable than the PL. But Square is a younger company, PayPal is much bigger, so it's generating more economies of scale. And then you can benchmark and take some information out of this comparison. Square published 5%. Then you say, wow, there is a very big gap between 24% and 5%. But that doesn't mean anything. You understand that Square adjusted gives more information than Square published in the benchmarking activity as it was communicated by the company itself. Second impact, market valuation. How do you evaluate companies? You remember that there is a method which consists in evaluating how much a company is worth as a function of how much it generates in terms of cash flows, DCF, discounted free cash flows, at the cost of capital. It's not very useful in this environment. What we use for this kind of valuation is, generally speaking, multiples to compare comparable companies. So you calculate the market value of equity or the enterprise value, and you try to figure out how many years of revenues, how many years of earnings the company is really worth. Uh, price earnings, enterprise value, and EBITDA, and so on and so forth. Earnings, well, generally speaking, they are negative, not always, but when they are not negative, they are not that significant. Revenues, yes, of course, because it's a positive figure and it's a growing figure. So it's very interesting one to use enterprise value or market capitalization divided by revenues. Then you can calculate the value of the company of the quarter and you divide that by the last quarterly revenues. Do you use it for communicated revenues? For published revenues or for adjusted revenues? It completely changes the picture, as you can imagine. On published revenue, you have a company which was worth about 10 years of revenues when it was listed, yet it went up to 30 to 40, and is currently stabilizing around 20, 20 plus years of revenues. Now, when you calculate the same multiple for the adjusted revenues, and I insist very much on the fact that adjusted revenues much more reflect the actual economic activity of the company. When a company is listed, the multiple is at about 30, less than 30, then it moves down to 20, goes up to 75, goes down to 45, 
And if you look at what happened during the last quarters, and the multiple is about 80 today, but it was more than 90 during Q4-20 and Q1-21. That's an extremely interesting figure to calculate because we can now compare benchmarks this figure with PayPal again. We made the benchmarking for the return on sales. Now let's do it for the valuation multiple. If you divide the market capitalization by revenues for PayPal, adjusted revenues so that it's calculated exactly the same way as Square, you have 22 euros of revenues of business activity. If you take Square published revenue, you have 23. So at first sight, it seems that the companies, they have the same valuation multiples, which is absolutely wrong. If you take Square adjusted, so that Square adjusted is very comparable with PayPal adjusted, you go up to 81 years of revenue. It's four times as much in terms of multiple. Then you understand that the perspective on the valuation of Square is completely different if you take the published revenue or if you keep on adjusting the revenue as the company was doing up to 2018 included. And again, it reflects a business activity. Now, adjusted versus published revenues. Of course, you have to adjust the revenues because it gives you a much more relevant information about the activity of the company, about its business economics. It's much easier than to compare Square with other companies operating in the same industry. It gives you a much better understanding and much more accurate information about the financial metrics of the company and the dynamics of this metrics. You remember the discussion on the gross margin, on the indirect cost. And at the end of the day, it raises questions about the valuation of the company as it is today. Now, if you go back to my initial comment, August the 4th, Square announces the acquisition of Afterpay. Afterpay is in a business which is very much complementary to uh, what Square is about. It's buy now, pay later. It will be a $29 billion deal, all stock transaction, no cash transfer of any kind. And if you calculate the same multiple, the value of the transaction is 45 times the revenues. It's not 20. It's not 80, it's somewhere in between. The market positively reacts to that because the stock price of Square is going to be up by 8% when the transaction is announced. So the market is very happy about that. We are going to discuss that, but in another, in the next video. Thank you very much.